I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, Celtics fans? Happy Wednesday. I'm not too sure if we are happy or not, but you know, we can get into this, we can dive into this. Before I go any further, from now on, every Tuesday will be live streamed on Celtics Blog Facebook page. If you're tuning in there for the first time and you don't know what the show is, this is Celtics Pod. I'm Adam Taylor from Celtics Blog. My boy Will Weir joins me every Tuesday, no, sorry, every Wednesday and Friday. And then we have another co host, Greg, who joins us on a Sunday when we're all together. That's the Free Man Weave. Make sure you hit us up on either Spotify or Apple for every single episode. You can find the links anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search for Celtics Blog. Anyway, thank you for that introduction myself. Will, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good, man. Like you said, are we happy? Are we not happy? I don't I'm know, man. Happy. We're going we're gonna to talk through it, though. We're going to talk through it at the very least. Yeah, I think we need to talk through it, man. I think the first <laughs> thing, I mean, I, I need this therapy session more than anything. That's, and I'm hoping that's, that That's kind of what this show's becoming, man. It's like, uh, you know, Wednesdays with Adam and Will. Just come in for a therapy session. Let it all out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's so bad because, like, at the moment, like, I get two weeks of every year where my time zone is much more favorable. Now, it's only an hour difference, but it's a four-hour time gap instead of a five-hour time gap. Now, that extra hour means a game tips off at 11 p.m. or 11.30. It's much more reasonable to get mm-hmm. through that. So, like, uh, when this game was tipping off at 11.30, I was like, yo, let me go to bed at 9, you know, get a quick two hours, two and a half hours, so I'm focused, come back and watch the game. By halftime, the Celtics are just, they're absolutely crushing it. I'm like, yo, this is in the bag. Let me go and make myself a hot drink, get cuddled up into my... my um my robe you know the robe from last yeah. week i'm all i'm all good and then all of a sudden it just goes absolutely upside down oh my god man i'm telling you i i felt like i jinxed it um i was on my way back from from la last night so i got to the airport a little bit early to to kind of plug in set up watch the game and you know i'm, I'm watching it and i think it was somewhere around the middle of the third quarter like you know when the celtics had their 20 22 point lead whatever it was and i tweeted something to the effect of man Celtics are having fun tonight. This is so nice to see. And instantaneously, uh, bad karma hit the fan, and everything went straight downhill after that. It um it it turned quickly, man. Like really, really quickly in that game. So like you want to laugh and then you want to cry, dude. Like that's yeah. that's how I feel because like when I look at it, I'm like, right, everything that you've been asking for from the Celtics since the start of the year, the effort, the weak side defense. The off-ball movement, the ball movement, pressuring the rim, using that rim pressure to create open three-point opportunities. Everything was there. It was all working perfectly. You had the beautiful play where it was kind of like um, Tatum gave that handoff to a curling um, Josh Richardson, and it just looked beautiful. You had that one where Tatum just absolutely cooked Lonzo for the months Mm -hmm. and dunk. It just felt like this game was where the Celtics found their turning point. And then they just didn't. And, and I think that's where we need to start, right? Like, yeah. what are your what, what what are your biggest takeaways from this game? Like, from the second half, we forget the first half. That's Paul's gold. Yeah. What's from the second half? Yeah, man, it's really it's really like you know two different. It's two and a half quarters, and then there's the last quarter and a half, and you kind of have to separate them like like we're doing right now. So, you know, looking at that last quarter and a half, and and coming into today's pot, I was really trying to think of, you know, I think one of our last pods we really focused on. Ime and some of his rotations and, and who's not playing. And, you know, there's parts of last night where it was just a breakdown. Like it just felt like the Bulls and the Bulls got hot 
you know, credit to the Bulls. The Bulls are having a great year. I really thought uh, Caruso, uh, I'm going to mess up this guy's name, the, the rookie from Illinois, A.O. Domasuno. How do you say it? I don't know. I forget. Do you know, you know who I'm talking about, but I don't I know, know, you know how to say, yeah, say his last name. That's not going to work out well between us here. Uh, but between the two of them and Derek Jones Jr., their energy really changed a lot of that game. And, you know, same thing with that tweet. I even talked to my friend who was at the airport with, and I was like, he was like, so what, do you, what are you seeing right now from the game so far? And I was like, man, they're really containing Levine and Vucevic. And I know DeMars or DeRozan's having a great game. And then those guys' energy, Levine picked it up. And it, it just went downhill so quickly. And the Bulls were just getting great shot after great shot after great shot. So there's definitely a part of it for me that was a just a complete defensive breakdown. But then it kind of goes back to what we were saying about a week or so ago. It feels like the bad offense in the in the rotations that we're using to to on our on the our offensive sets are leading to to bad transition defense and the way the defense is getting set up. You even said, you know, last week, what's the best way to to make sure your defense is in the best position? Make shots on offense. And you know, we're ending up with these very, you know, uneven floor spacing moments where just too many times, and I know Bobby Manning had a great tweet today where there's a picture of Jason Tatum. And he's like pretty much triple teamed in the corner and then spread out around him was Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, Grant Williams, and then a covered Al Horford in the post. And it's like, well, this is this is how little respect some of these lineups are getting with the spacing that's out there. So there's part of me that, you know, and we're going to get to Marcus Smart's comments in a little bit here. It's the chicken or the egg. Is it just, you know, guys like Jason Tatum need to play better in the fourth quarter and then this all looks fine. And, you know, some of these close games start start turning into wins and maybe we're overblowing it? Or is it the fact that we don't have the shooters and Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, and don't have, you know, proper mix and match of, of our rotations from Ime? You know, is, is that where the issue is? And, and it's starting to become a point where I'm not quite sure what the answer is, Adam. I'm not quite sure, but there's something missing and there's something off with this team right now in a big way. Yes. I mean, the first thing for me is like, um, it is, it's got to be the spacing or the lack thereof. Like, there seems to be a very large reliance on this non-shooting lineup of Schroeder, Richardson, and Smart. And I completely get it from one angle. I understand that what you're doing is you're placing out multiple defensive pieces that are all very multifaceted in the fact that they can handle the ball, they can penetrate, they can all pass a little bit, they can playmake a little bit. So you're, you're giving your opportunities to guys that can create to get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown open. Now, that in theory, is perfectly fine. But to do that, you can't have the ball in Jason Tatum's, hand, Jason Tatum's hand when initiating the set. Because what at that point, the three guys you've got out there to do the playmaking, to be your multifaceted options, well, now they're standing around, but they can't space the floor for you because they're not respected shooters. So you have to go one way or the other. You either take the ball out of Tatum's hand and, and Brown and say to these two guys, right, you guys are going to be off ball. We know we spoke about you being playmakers. We know we spoke about you making reads, but we're giving you free ball handlers that are all capable of penetrating and distributing. That's why you two are out there with them. If you want the ball in Tatum's hands or Brown's hands, fine. Then all of a sudden you need to start looking at who can shoot and where can we fit Neesmith into this? Where can we fit Pritchard into mm -hmm. this? Romeo has been shooting quite well. Does Romeo need to come in place of somebody? Because the, the lineup you're running at the moment of smart, Pritchard, no, I wish Pritchard, Smart, Schroeder, <laughs> Richardson, Tatum and Brown just isn't working. And furthermore, you can't keep taking the ball out of Jalen Brown's hands. When Jalen Brown is hot, 
why is he only getting two or three looks all the way through the fourth? It makes yeah. no sense to me. It's criminal. Absolutely no, that's criminal. and that's that's a big part of uh, uh, another part of of this you know last quarter and a half here is what happened to to getting Jalen Brown the ball, and this is kind of something that happened a little bit with Stevens last year as well, where you know when Jalen's hot and, and like I get that in the past and he's just not shooting the ball well right now, Jason Tatum that is. He's kind of been the the go to closer, but you know when, when you have another star player on your team and he's hot, it just makes no sense not to ride that player or to at the very least have them involved. Two shots for Jalen Brown down the stretch after the man has twenty eight points going into the fourth quarter. That just doesn't make any sense, Adam. Like I like I don't get how you're not putting him in a better position to be successful. He's in the corner too often. He's not a part of any of these sets. We're running too much ISO once again. Like. It just, yeah, it just doesn't. It, it's really confounding to to un, to un, try to understand why Jalen Brown, especially in a game like last night, where where he was on fire, twenty eight points through three quarters, and he just doesn't see the ball enough when the game's on the line. You see, for me, like I completely understand the notion of having Brown and Tatum operate on different wings. I understand if you're going to run out a lineup where there's no shooting at one through three or whatever, or you know one two and then yeah. four or however you want to distribute that lineup. If there's no shooting off three of those guys, you need Brown on the opposite wing because he's the only one stretching the defense out even a little bit. So I, I get that. But then you need to put stuff into motion where there is no set positions where, you know, guys aren't just finding their spot on the floor, one above the break, one at the wing slash slot, one in the one in the corner, and then a big man operating around the low block bunker spot. You need to be running cross screens, back screens. You need to get guys moving, force the defense to not be able to triple team. That triple team was disrespect. Yeah. Like, not only do you not respect the shooting, you also don't respect the threat of one of these guys cutting. If you look at that picture that Bobby Manning put out, Josh Richardson is literally one pass away. Al Horford is in, in like, the mid-post area with a defender on his back. He's posted up. If you want to create an open scoring opportunity, Al Horford sets a back screen for anyone that's near Josh Richardson. Richardson cuts, Tatum hits him with an easy easy pass over the top, and then boom, it's just open all the way to the rim. The, and obviously, Tatum still made a good read, and he swung it all the way to the far corner to hit Grant Williams, but that, to me, was the most difficult pass on offer. You had a over-the-top pass to Horford that was easier. You had Josh Richardson that was wide open, that was literally one pass away, and you just, but obviously, Tatum wants to go as far away to because the defense has further to cover. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But like this, not giving Jalen Brown touches, being very much a stand and watch offense, uh, it's very it de-evolved back into what we saw during the bubble and what we saw for large stretches last season. And I just, for the life of me, I mean, I wrote about this today. I said, um, and anachronistic. It's something that's basically yeah, that's a good vocabulary. I like that, man. Learn something <laughs> new today. And um, my point was like, none of this time was like a definition that you could use. And my point behind that definition is this offense isn't what we signed up for or what the Celtics signed up for when they hired Ime Udoka. The point was that this was a young, innovative coach coming in after highly respected after like, what was it, nine, ten years as an assistant mm -hmm. under some of the most well-respected coaches in the NBA. And all of a sudden, we're really, really struggling to understand and fathom what he's doing with the rotations, what he's doing with the, with the play calls. Now, we saw some promising signs, but at the moment, I'm just—I need somebody to explain it to me, like I'm fine. It's—it's it's so tough, man. And I, and I feel for you know 
today was one of the first podcasts I was a little nervous coming into. And, and you know, we've built up, but we're in year two right now. We're building chemistry. We got a nice little give and go. We bring in the three man weave. We make it happen. We do a pick and roll. We got somebody space. We 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 know where to be. But I, like, I'm trying not to sound like a broken record. I feel like we're touching on so many topics that we went over. You know, basically a week ago. But it's 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 so hard to understand and we're not providing like I want the listeners to come to us because they're looking for something new and I feel like I don't have a ton new because it feels like Ime is, is being relatively stubborn when it comes to a lot of this and like you said there's moments where you see certain things that work I mean look at the the double overtime loss to to the Wizards you know Josh Richardson handling the ball that was I think the best he's looked all year is when he got an opportunity to handle the ball you know a little bit more and now you look back at this Bulls game and you're seeing him primarily being used as a floor spacer, which is just a non-threat, you know, when it when it comes to the defense. And it's it's really hard to to kind of wrap your head around. And going into the season, we talked a lot about this team has depth. We already know we're not using our depth to a you know to the the proper levels that it could be used with Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard just not even seeing the floor. Wancho, even for that matter, you know, neither none of the three of them have seen any you know real time over the last several games here. And and so with that, we're not using our depth. And one of the things that I was curious about going into the year is how Ime was going to take what on paper looked like 10 to 11 solid guys. And I get you want to run a smaller rotation later in the season, but seven games in, like I think you can loosen the reins a little bit on it and experiment. But it was how was he was going to stagger that, you know, how do we not how do we make Josh Richardson the most effective version of Josh Richardson? And it's going to be typically given the ball that we saw against the Wizards a little bit. And he just hasn't really done that consistently. And it's easier to do that if you then are inserting and you have, you know, uh, guys to play around with and Neesmith and Pritchard who are spacing the floor. Richardson maybe has the ball a little bit. You can get some secondary shot creation with another point guard like Peyton Pritchard if he catches and gets closed out on. And this, it just seems like there's more options that are just not being utilized. And I don't get it, Adam. I do not get it. I need to know. I, I honestly need to know. <laughs> and it's just not making sense. I'm at the point now where I'm just looking at how the offense is running with the rotation he's using. Yeah. Because the questions I have on why guys aren't playing, why guys who I feel like would provide a large portion of what's ailing the Celtics at the moment. And obviously, we're just not going to get the answers. So yeah. I'm trying to find out. I'm, what I'm trying to do now is use a crystal ball to get inside Udoka's head and just try and understand what is it you want from this team? How is it? What is your vision of this working? Right. So one of the, because I don't know, I honestly yeah. couldn't tell you. Like this is like real tough. So I'm looking at some stats here, and what I'm looking at has a garbage time filter. So we're going to filter. So this will automatically. This is cleaningtheglass.com. It will automatically filter out any time where it's just the game's already out of hand. For this season, so far, what would you, if, off memory, mm-hmm. where would you say most of the Celtics' offense is coming from? Talk about player or like what? In, Just in, in general, in, like shot amount, shot attempts. Where is most of the offense coming from on the floor? Where are most shots? What region? Uh, I mean, I would say the three-point line. So the three-point line is the 32% of the offense comes from the three-point line. 32.7. 30% is coming at the rim. And this is in frequency. So this is where the shots are coming from. 36.6% is coming from the mid-range. The majority mm. of the shots are coming from between 4 and 14 feet. So that's anywhere from outside of the restricted area to the three-point line in terms of like, you know, the circle that you yeah. just under. It's from 4 to 14 feet. That is where the majority of the Celtics offense is coming from, that floater region. That, to me, doesn't feel like it's viable as a long-term offensive strategy. 
hey guys, we just want you to drive and just jack up floaters. If you can't jack up a floater, sidestep and do a fade away. Now, yeah. what we're going to do now is we're going to look at where the accuracy is coming from. So we know that like, the mid-range is where most of it's coming from because mid-range, three-point line, rim. Mm -hmm. It should be rim and three-point with no mid-range if we want to go that Maury ball route. Right from yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's true though. It's true. Um oh sorry. That was just in Chicago. I am sorry. So <laughs> that was just against Chicago. It's okay, I'm trying to look at two screens at once. So just against Chicago, the most of the offense came from the mid-range. But overall, it is still that kind of like that's a trend that's followed through all the yeah. way through the season. I mean, if and it kind of feels that way. And Adam, when you asked me that, even if whether it was just referring to the Bulls game or, or the overall in the season, like that's where my mind went to, but it feels like it should be more to, to to your point threes and at the rim. But when you're playing the guys that that we have, and you know, I was I was watching um, the end. I don't know why I was torturing myself, but I did rewatch the end of the third quarter and fourth quarter before coming on this podcast today from last night's game. And there was a play that really stuck out. And I should have time stamped it, but I believe it was Jalen Brown had the ball at the top, got a pick from from Rob Williams, hit Rob on the short roll, and he made a fantastic quick decision. Great pass over to the corner where we had Josh Richardson, you know, and it's 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 like right there that everything about that play was great, except for who the final result went to, you know, and and it feels like a lot of the times the Celtics are getting opportunities that would make a lot of sense with just different players. Like it just it, it, it's just it's just crazy, man. It's do you know what else is really annoying as well? Like you're right. There's no. There's no one out there where you feel like, right, if we hit this guy in the corner, he's a, he's a bucket, right? You felt that way about Pritchard. You didn't really feel that way about Neesmith, but you understand that he came in with the reputation of a shooter. And Theoretically, we felt like we could get there with Neesmith. Yeah. But we need, to, still, we need to put it into practice and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But what annoys me is that if you're going to be losing games, you might as well lose with development. I would much rather lose with development than lose with a bunch of guys that are here on a short term. And that I think that's what really grinds my gears the most. Like, <laughs> Schroeder's here for a year, then he's gone. Pritchard's here. We need to develop Pritchard. Pritchard has always been the guy that everyone's seen as the perfect six-man. He's scrappy on defense. Obviously, he doesn't have the physical tools to really be a factor, but he'll try. He'll hustle his butt off. He can stretch the floor, and he can attack off the dribble. Everyone, like, you know, we, we read in the summer, everyone's saying, oh, well, Pritchard wants to improve. He needs to be able to, to score off the bounce in a pull-up, you know, be able to attack off a couple of dribbles, pull up and score. What's he do this year? He's attacking off the dribble, pulling up in that mid-range area and hitting his twos. So he's adding to his game. And while Schroeder has been, in my opinion, one of the most impactful members of the Celtics roster, it's also very apparent that a lot of my fears coming in when they first originally acquired him are true. His passes are mainly when his initial scoring opportunity has been taken away. It's very rare I see Schroeder get the ball and look for where the pass is. It's very much where's my offense going to come from. If it's not there, I'll dump it off or I'll swing it out. So I'd much rather see Pritchard developing there. I like Richardson. I think Richardson gives you a bunch, gives you some good defense, some playmaking. Can, you know, put I, I mean, I think with Richardson, it's just it's, it's the same story that that you know, Ime I thought had seen firsthand in Philly and it then happened again in Dallas where he's a good player, he's a useful player, but you have to kind of use him correctly. And I don't feel like we're using him correctly. Like I said, I'm, I'm harping back again to, to the one time where I felt like, oh, this is the Josh Richardson I was hoping to get coming into the season was that was the was a some of him against the Wizards over the weekend. And, you know, I, I just don't get why we're not seeing more, especially after it 
you know, it's, it's one of these things I saw, I see, I see it happen. I see Ime utilize him in the way that we've kind of envisioned it, but then revert back immediately. And, and that's the part that's, that's not lining up for me because I think Richardson has a ton of use, but it matters. It really matters for guys like him and Schroeder, who else is on the court so that they can do the things that they do well and not be forced or, or be pigeonholed to go do something that's not in their strength. And that's where the off-ball movement comes in, and that's where the screaming plays come in. Because if you can get guys moving and play more positionless basketball, well, now you can start playing more towards people's strengths because they're not being pigeonholed by positional kind of drawbacks. You know, If you're playing Marcus Smart as a point guard when he's really more of a combo guard, playing a positionless brand of basketball is going to allow him to be more physical. It's going to allow him to drive a little bit more. And I'm, I kind of want to use this opportunity to move into Marcus Smart because um, you know his um, his comments were probably more newsworthy than the fact that the Celtics absolutely poo pooed it. <laughs> so you know what I mean. So let's look at this. Look, let's so, do it. For, like you know, we can put up the quotes if we need to, but let's just start off with basically the gist of it is Marcus Smart wants to wants Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to pass more. That's the that's the nuts and bolts of the quotes that came out of there. Smart believes that teams are already very well well versed in how the Celtics are going to close out the um, the end of games, who they're going to look to get going, and where they're going to look to get their offense from. And Smart thinks it's tired and played out. That's my words, not his. What are your takes from that? I don't think he's wrong, and I and I think there was a, a misconception of some of his quotes when you look through through Twitter that. People were saying that he was saying he wanted to be the one shooting, which I, I didn't get that from his quotes. I don't think that's what he was saying. And you can even see as you read through the quotes and listen to to what he said, he talks about, you know, the Jays passing and getting getting more ball movement to your point, getting more cutting, just getting more action to get them better looks. He even says to get them better looks, they if they are able to pass the ball and have more players involved ultimately the ball will come back to them and they'll get easier opportunities as opposed to falling into this cycle of of isolation ball that that a lot of us Celtics fans all have PTSD from over over the last year or so and and so I don't think his comments were were wrong you know the part that I think is is debatable and is, is starting to become kind of a theme is should these comments have been made in public or should they have been made in the locker room you know on a more individual individual teammate to teammate basis I think that's a little bit more for debate. There are times where, you know, making comments in a public setting, sometimes they need to be made in a public setting to kind of, you know, really emphasize that. And maybe the message is being connected in a more, you know, individualized way. So. That part, I'm not sure. But overall, I don't really have a problem with his comments. When I initially saw the reaction, I was expecting to to be quite offended by what he said and be like, get out of here, Marcus. You're already shooting, you know, 28 and 29% from the field and from three. What do you mean? But I don't think I didn't interpret it as him saying, I need to be taking more shots. I interpreted him as we have better offense and better offensive ball movement consistently late in the game. We're going to get our best players better shots rather than letting the defense load up on them individually. That's what I got from it. How about you, Adam? So I took the exact same mentality as you. This isn't Smart saying he wants to be the primary offensive finisher. He's not even asking to be the offensive creator. 
all he's saying is what we're doing isn't working because it's exactly what teams expect from us. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum shouldn't be the ones to finish sets? Not at all. They should definitely be the guys to take the shots. Should they be the guys to initiate the offense? Probably not. As much as you want them to be better playmakers, as much as you feel their ceiling is based and predicated on how they can create for others, that's generally over the course of a game, not just in the final minutes. If you look at some of the best players in the league, they operate as play finishers, not play creators. They'll bring the ball up somewhat. They'll hand it off to a guy like Marcus Smart, who is a point guard in this in this context. And then they will go off, off ball, do their work and look to get free or get into one of their favourable scoring positions. It's all about trusting your teammates to find you in spots where you're most effective. At the moment, we're seeing Tatum go ISO on the wing where he's not really that effective as an isolation scorer and everybody else just clears out the way. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that put Brown in the spot where he's most effective? You're not trusting Brown then. You need to be able to say, right, Tatum, if you're on ball, you're working to create a good look for Brown. If Brown's on ball, he's working to create a good look for Tatum. If neither of you guys have got a good look where you've got three other teammates to lean on. So I completely agree with what Marcus Smart was saying. I just find it, I, I see the juxtaposition in the time where he chose to make those comments. You know, coming off a game where you've had zero assists, talking about passing the ball more, talking about being a guy that can set up the offense, saying everybody knows I'm a good passer. Well, yeah, I genuinely think Marcus Smart is one of the best playmakers on the team and has been for a long time. But when you've had no assists, this really read the room, dude. Yeah, it's a, it's you know a tough I mean? look. It, it, it's a tough look at at that time. And, you know, Marcus Smart right now, you know, his assists are down. You, you would think this year where they're trying to give him the ball more, at least early on, and I, I get his point late in the game, that's not been the case. You know, his assists are down from from what they've been over the last few years. And then, like you said, last night, it's, a little bit of a, you know, and that's what I, I'm kind of getting back to here is like, was that were those comments that should have been made by him in that moment publicly, or is that more of a private locker room conversation? You know, do you, do you have a strong opinion on that either way of whether that timing was correct, or do you have an issue with that and that should have been handled more internally than it was? For me, that should have been handed, handled totally internally, mm -hmm. and I genuinely believe that a player should not be coming out and calling out their teammates publicly regardless. If somebody's going to do that, leave it to Brad, leave it to Ime, leave it to one of the coaching staff. I don't think that you doing it as a player or somebody that needs to share the floor with these guys in two days' time that needs that camaraderie, build that build that kind of like team chemistry. You being the guy to do the calling out just doesn't make sense to me. And I understand Smart's the longest tenured Celtic. He's also one of the most respected voices among fans when it comes to somebody that gives their all for the team. So if he speaks, people are going to listen. But at the same time, you're calling out the two all-star wings and you're doing it on a night where you haven't made an assist all night long. That should have been definitely a locker room conversation. But I, I mean, and the question you have to ask yourself then is, how many times has that been a locker room conversation to make Smart feel like it needs to be said in public? So that's my point is like I, without knowing that information, because there are times where you just need to make a public statement because it's not connecting. It's not hitting home when you're having this, you know, I don't want to say like mentor mentee relationship, but you're having, you know, the, the veteran versus a up and coming star. And they're really only two years apart or a year apart. So it's, it's not even that much of an age gap between the couple of guys that, that we're really talking about. So that, that's where it's like, I, I don't know, you know, cause I, if it needed to be said in public, it needed to be said in public, and I don't really have too much of a problem with it, given Marcus's status on the team. Uh, to your point, time and place, reading the room, 
eh. probably not ideal, you know, like, I mean, maybe, maybe not the right time to, to quite do that, but it, and I think it speaks to, unfortunately, a bigger picture with this team. You know, we talked a week or so ago about, you know, Ime calling the team out so early, calling out Jalen Brown for having a mind-boggling, you know, uh, mindset going into certain games and not being maybe as prepared or ready for some for some of them and being a little bit up and down, which is, I still think, hard to say after four games. But, you know, I hope this isn't a precedent for what we're, we're going to be talking about throughout the season is should player or coach X have called out player or coach X and this continues to be a running theme but you know we're seven games in and second time we're having a very similar conversation in a few weeks yeah and that's a big concern for me I think another concern is we did hear a lot of discussions about accountability coming into the season and just as I said during the podcast when we spoke about Udoka calling guys out publicly for me accountability doesn't have to be public that should always be your very very last resort you know I want you guys to hold me accountable on this show. If you feel like I'm not coming correct, I want you to say it to me. I don't, I, you know, I want you to improve on X, Y, Z. I'd hope that we have that sort of dynamic where we can do so. But I would never do that publicly because I feel like when you take things public, it changes the narrative that little bit. It puts that little bit more of a zing on things, and it, it you know, because now you it's not a discussion between two. It's a discussion between, in the Celtics case, two, three, four million people all around the world. There's been like a like you know water cooler talk today in most offices or for me who work from home you know my water cooler talk has literally been all around what Smart said and whether he was right or not and whether he had so then you know like um I was reading one of Keith Smith's Keith Smith's pieces earlier that he put out on Celtics blog and he looked at how many opportunities Tatum passed out of a double team and I think he put there. I haven't got it in front of me. I should have really. It was something like there was five opportunities Tatum created out of a double team that guys missed. Do you know what I mean? Tatum was passing out of double teams. It's just a, it's a smart was the best. But Brian Rubb put this in his piece yeah, um, on MassLive.com today. Smart was a beneficiary of one of those passes out of a double team, but Smart didn't hit the three. Now, is that Smart's fault the three didn't fall? No. But Tatum did exactly what Smart had asked him to do. Smart saying he wants the ball in his hands from Tatum to be able to allow Tatum to move and find a new position where he's actually in more of a comfortable scoring position. Well, Tatum needs to feel confident that the ball's going to come back. You know what I mean? And I understand shot clock's the factor in stuff here as well. And you you know what this does, Adam, is this brings our conversation full circle once again. When Jason Tatum is passing out of of these double teams, who's he passing to? What spot are they in? You know, like that's and that's why I'm saying, that, you know, at the very beginning, we were trying to figure out takeaways from from the end of this game. It's, is it the chicken or the egg? Is Jason Tatum having poor shooting games uh, because because the defense is so focused on him and that they're collapsing down? Is he not getting the you know credit for passing out of these double teams because nothing's happening when he passes out of them because we have the wrong players on the floor? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I it, it's really hard to kind of figure out which one is going to change and which one needs to change first to start to see some tangible results because the Celtics aren't you know as much as that collapse like you said it's a poo poo platter it was just a straight poo poo platter at the end of the game. You know, you look at that game, you look at really both Wizards games, but especially the double overtime, you look at the Knicks double overtime, the Celtics very easily minus pretty much that Toronto game could have a very different record than what they have. So it's little changes that need to happen to fix this. So it's it's in a really weird position where it feels panicky, and that's certainly what the Celtics looked like at the end of that game last night was panicky. But at the same time, it's it's close. 
And so it's it's just a weird position right now to to try and figure out everything that's happening. Yeah, to quote Shakespeare, they looked shooketh. <laughs> they looked shooketh. I think that when you say like it's the chicken or the egg, you make a really good point. And what it instantly takes my mind back to last year when we had similar conversations, like who's Tatum passing to? Semi-Ogile. He's passing to, you know what I mean? At one point in the season, oh, he's got a pass to, you're giving him Javante Green as an option, who quite mm-hmm. frankly played very well. He's been playing very well for the Chicago Starting Bulls. for the Bulls, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but these are the names that they had last year. You was giving it to Semi-Ogile. You was giving it to a struggling Grant Williams. We were saying that Tatum had no other options. Well, now you do. Not the best shooting options in the world because Udoka's um, rotations are are appalling, let's be honest. We're going to put, you know, we'll say, call it as it is, it's appalling. But at the same time, when you look at it, Tatum can now pass to Richardson that can drive, Schroeder that can drive, and always, there should always be an ability to pass to Jalen Brown. That's the point that I think needs to be drove home the most. This isn't the Tatum team. This isn't the Tatum show. This is the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum tandem. Mm-hmm. That's when the team's most effective. That's when they're most dangerous. At no point should one of those two be getting favored touches over the other. They should be doing everything possible to create for each other. And I think that for me was my biggest takeaway. Smart wants the ball to facilitate to these guys. I'm fine. Whoever hand, whoever's got the ball in their hands. As long as the rest of the guys are doing what they can to get one of those two play finishes open, when one's standing in the corner, the entire offense might as well just not bother attempting anything. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like too many times we we've gone away from from the hot hand. I mean, I even think even though Jalen Brown dropped forty six against the Knicks, I mean, there's parts of of both overtimes that you can look to it where you know Jason, we were kind of force feeding Jason Tatum a little bit. Uh, I think last night you can make that same case again that Jalen Brown, they're just you know if. if Whatever you need to do to get Jalen Brown involved more, in my opinion, and I get the idea of him being in the corner. That's his money shot. Jalen Brown is absolute money from the corner, and if you're going to get the defense to collapse and you can get him open, that's great. But if the defense can still focus on him, drop down, and they don't give a crap about the other guys out there, it's not really that great of a plan. So let's find a way to run more screens, run some DHOs, get Jalen Brown involved. It just it just needs to happen, man. These games where where one of the two of them is hot, and I think about you know, the Blazers aren't off to a great start. So this might not be a great example, but I think back to a couple of years ago in the playoffs, Dame is just having a nuclear postseason. Game seven, they're on the road against the Nuggets. He's struggling. He just doesn't have it that night. You know, he's carried them throughout the series. But you know what they do have in reserve? They had a guy named C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum came in and hit some of the biggest shots in game seven on the road, and Dame Lillard deferred to his other star teammate to be able to come in. And I think there's times where, you know, if Jalen's the one that's hot, let's feed Jalen. Let's get Jalen eight shots in the fourth quarter. And maybe Tatum only takes two that game. Doesn't mean that's always what you're going to. But too many times is is Jalen Brown just not involved enough for my liking. Uh, and that has to be something that changes along with a lot of the other stuff that you can you can go through this podcast and pull out that we're talking about. Do you know what as well? They found success with those Chicago sets. With, and I tweeted about this if you find it on Twitter. I even yeah, it's a beautiful tweeted. look. Yeah, where it's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams. Tatum's initiating the handoff. Brown's coming off the pin. No, sorry, Tatum's initiating the pin down. Brown curls off the pin down, receives the ball off Robert Williams. Rob dives to the rim. That gives Jalen so much rim pressure and, so, you know, the option whether he wants to kick it out to, to Tatum on the free, throw the lob, or to just use his athleticism and finish. It's so, such a power play with those three guys involved. And I'm not saying, you know, you can't run the same set over and over again. Mm-hmm. NBA defenses are too intelligent. They will, they will shut that down. Coaches will make sure you don't get into that set. 
but using it productively on multiple occasions when you need a bucket, when you need to get some rim pressure or you need to get Tatum or Brown going, go to that, use it because you've seen success. Alternate what side of the floor you do it on, alternate who's getting the who's setting the pin down, who's receiving the ball. Make little nuanced changes. Alternate whether Rob Williams is setting a side screen. Maybe you want it to be a Miami set instead of a Chicago set. So it's a hand. So instead of it being a pin down into a handoff, it's a handoff into a pin down. It's the same result. Make and you're gonna get guys going, but you don't and you utilize that down the stretch to start getting guys to want to move off ball to show them there's rewards for doing that and for setting those screens, which brings us all the way back again to what we spoke about at the beginning of the year with selflessness and mm-hmm. playing team, a team brand of basketball. Now, what word were they using at that time? It, was, it, was, it wasn't accountability. There was another buzzword they were using. Mm. I'm drawing a blank here. Do you remember? And I was like, well, saying that people are just like, oh, it's passing the ball. And it's not just passing the ball. It's setting the screens. It's doing the things that you're not going to get shown love for. It's doing what doesn't show up in the butt score because that's what makes a team better. And... We saw that in steps throughout this game, but we didn't see when it counted the most. And I think to me, that was where the biggest issue was. Yeah, great two and a half quarters, man. If they had just really ended that game after two and a half quarters, I'd be very happy today. (laughs) So I think that pretty much wraps us up, man, unless you've got anything else you want to say. Not really, man. I the only thing I hope is that by the time you and I come back on here after, uh, will be after the Magic game, but before the Heat game. I just hope we have something different to talk about. I hope something is different in this team. Uh, you know, come Wednesday night when when they play the Magic, and you and I have have something some a different discourse that we can have on the next podcast. I mean, I've got a lot I want to say about Cole Anthony. That's all good. So I'm sure I can find time to speak about Cole Anthony. He's so good, dude. I wish the Celtics had made a move. But I said it last year. Do you remember? I said if you want a point guard, Cole Anthony should be the guy. Excuse yeah, he's me. having he's having a great year for the Magic right now. I mean, there's. The NBA right now is in a is in a really unique place, man. If you go look at the standing, it is not what you would have guessed, you know, two two weeks into the season or whatever we are. It's certainly not what you would have thought. And uh, you know, the Magic, they're one of the the teams that we thought would be at the bottom of the East. So you know, we we got to take advantage. And then we got the Miami Heat, who I had a chance to watch. Uh, I watched their full game against the Hornets. I think it was maybe this past Friday night. Heat are good, man. Heat are really good. That's going to be a really tough test for the Celtics this week. It could be worse, though. You could be the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, man, that's a rough situation. Although I did <laughs> see, I did see, I can't remember who it was that that tweeted it out. Maybe, maybe it was our guy Greeny over at Barstool. I can't, I can't remember, but uh, he made a good point about keeping an eye on a guy like Jeremy Lamb, who I think is right around ten million dollars. Good shooter. There's a couple TPEs. There's a Josh Richardson deal that may be out there. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe from from their uh, their struggles, maybe we can benefit. We'll see. Who's, who knows? Who knows? Okay, if you've joined us on Facebook today, then thank you. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever it may be. If, as usual, you're listening on your phone or your you know, your audio device that allows you to stream such podcasts, please make sure to leave that five-star written review. Anything nice makes us smile. If you're not on a device that allows you to leave a review, then, as usual, word of mouth. I'm going to let my boy Will here give you some ideas of where this word of mouth could be beneficial. Yeah, talk to your Uber driver, talk to your Uber Eats driver, talk to your pool guy. We got some pool guys. If you got a boat guy, talk to your yacht guy. If you got a pizza guy, talk to your pizza guy. Talk to your barber, talk to your wife, talk to your girlfriend. Anybody that you come into contact with, tell them about the Celtics Blog Podcast. Tell them to come check out myself, my guy Adam Taylor, our boy Greg Manakis. Come check out 
the three-man weave when we get it together. You never want to miss one of those. And with that, we will leave you to continue your Wednesday. We hope the Celtics give us all good things to talk about. I really just want to talk about offensive and defensive sets. Please let me talk about things they're doing well so I can get all nerdy. I want to get nerdy, and you're not allowing me to get nerdy. I also want to talk <laughs> numbers, and it's just not happening. So, yeah. you know, I'm as hopeful as everybody else, man. I live and die by the Celtics the same as everybody else. Um, until next time, which will be Friday, we hope everybody has a good day, and we will catch you soon. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might